Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. It's true. I want to thank our listeners around the world for making this one of our always consistently most popular series out of all of the Game Changer series. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Sandy Cock. I have a quote from Sandy Cockrell, the global leader of the CFO program of Deloitte. Everybody listen to this. There's no question over the last year, this new wave of technology impact on CFO decision-making. CFOs are really working to get their arms around all of it. I'm just going to say, oh my. So let's talk about this collaborative enterprise planning. Is it a myth? Is it reality? Well, we think it's a reality because cloud-based planning systems have made it easier than ever to connect and align plans from all of your departments and all of your business units across your organization. That's called working together. Uh huh. But it's not all pie in the sky. Questions loom large about how deep and how detailed your finance offices plan, given the shift toward more ERP-centric planning solutions with more granularity. You know what that means. So from a cultural and process standpoint, we always like to talk about the people part of the CFO office, the people part of finance. From these standpoints, how should finance lead and direct initiatives such as, well, you've heard the zero-based budgeting and driver-based planning, and talk about technologies, where do machine learning and augmented analytics fit into this picture? We have so much on the table to discuss today, and I'm very happy to have three experts with me. I'll just give you their names and their companies, and then we're going to have them introduce themselves briefly so you know who they are. So in a moment, we'll be hearing, well, all three have been on before, so I'm welcoming back Tiago Bala at Deloitte. Thank you, Tiago. Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospect. Welcome back, Jeff. And SAP, who was instrumental in putting this panel together. Welcome, gentlemen. Delighted to have you on the show. Tiago, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me here. Um, this is Tiago mm-hmm. Bala from Deloitte. Uh, it's been in the industry for about 20 years, primarily focusing on um, new digital lab innovations, focusing on financial planning and analytics, using machine learning and all the other new digital technologies. I'm glad to be part of this program today. Thank you very much. We're delighted to have you back. And I have to do a shout-out to Carla Neil Slavin and Helen Thomas at Deloitte, who are so helpful in connecting us with wonderful people like you, Tiago, at Deloitte, to help with our panels. We're always very appreciative of having you and your colleagues on our shows. Great thought leadership. And now let's go one stop around the table to Mr. Jeff Hattendorf at MacroSpec. Jeff, please bring us up to date. What have you been up to? Hey, good morning, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on. It's... Uh... I guess year 19 of financial planning with companies across the globe from big brands you've heard of and, and smaller brands that no one's ever heard of but actually make the economy go both here in the U.S. And, and around the world. And the only thing I would add to what we see in the world just from the show title standpoint is most companies have collaborative planning. Where there's a, where there's a drop-off is the effectiveness of the collaboration. And that's been true for 19, 20 years, as long as I've been in this space. Interesting. So you're saying it's collaboration and name only, Jeff? Is that the the direct implication of what you just said? 
in many cases, it's there's a it's a it's more like the brute force approach to collaboration than the the more genteel and and true collaboration where we're all trying to get along and, and having equal input into a process. Interesting. Well, we're going to be talking about that. Thank you very much. That's a bold statement to start off the show, so I appreciate it. And let's move around to Pross Chatterjee at SAP. Pross, please bring us up to date what you've been up to. Hey, Bonnie. Uh, thanks so much again for having me here. And uh, hey, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my name is Pross Chatterjee. I'm part of the product marketing team at SAP, focusing on our planning and analysis solutions. I've uh, been with SAP for going on to 13 years now and just uh, helping customers and um, organizations around the world understand, you know, more about planning and, uh, you know, what other customers are doing and the latest technology and how can I can help their processes. And um, I do somewhat disagree, I guess, with Jeff's statement, which we can deliver uh, deliberate through the show. I mean, um, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he talked about brute force being a bad thing maybe, and I personally feel it might be a uh, the only necessary, only possible approach, but we can discuss that through the course of the hour. I love this. We we don't usually get a disagreement <laughs> in the first four minutes of a show. So I'm uh, let, let you know what we got to do this. Tiago, talk to me. Do you wh- whose side are you on? Are you on the the Hattendorf side? Are you on the Chatterjee side of of this? It's not an argument. It's a discussion. But where do you weigh in on this? I'm going to be actually standing neutral. There are some cases what. The Pat is saying is good, and I think some ways I agree with Jeff, too. So for now, I'm neutral. Let's see how the conversation goes okay. through the program. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, this is a hot topic. So now, gentlemen, you have each sent me a wonderful quote. We love quotes from movies and songs and famous people, and we've got one quote from a movie, one quote from a cartoon, beloved cartoon TV character, and one quote from a poet from the 1800s. So we certainly have covered the gamut of quotes. Tiago Bala at Deloitte has sent me a quote from Yoda. In Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. If you have been living under some kind of a rock or behind a wall somewhere with no access to movies or any kind of IMDb, International Movie Database, Yoda is a fictional character in the Star Wars franchise created by George Lucas. Yoda first appeared in the 1980 film The Empire Strikes Back. Yoda was a legendary Jedi master and stronger than most in his connection with the Force. Force is a capital F, in case you're wondering. Small in size, but wise and powerful. He trained Jedi for over 800 years. Boy, that's a long run. Playing integral roles in the Clone Wars, the instruction of Luke Skywalker in unlocking the path to immortality. I hope I did that well. So, Tiago, here's the quote you selected. Do or do not. There is no try. Tiago, what a great quote. Tell us how it relates to our topic today, please. Well, absolutely. Uh, This is a very simple quote, right? giving us a reminder us to commit ourselves, ourselves to something completely, either whether win or lose, you have to actually stick to it. Especially if you say in this world right now, the pace of innovation is accelerating right now. So either you actually plan for the change or face the risk of being left behind. So innovate is not an option for you anymore. You have to change. So that's why I picked this one, do or do not. There's no in-between. I love it. I love the quote. Thank you very much. We like the simple quotes sometimes because they're, they're just so effective when you get down to what they actually mean. Uh, going back to are you still going to stay? take that position of being in the middle on the fence on whether collaboration is name only and whether you have to kind of punch it up a little bit to make it happen, Tiago? Based on this quote, do or do not, there is no try. I try to collaborate, but what do you think now? Any difference? Yeah. 
um, still I'm going to try to collaborate. No, not collaborate. I'm going to do with collaborate, right? It's not trying to collaborate. Okay. All right. Doing I like that. We'll, we'll have to figure out. By the way, I didn't mention the title of this episode, excuse me, is Full Steam Ahead, Finance and Planning Together at Last. I think we need a song to go along with that. So we are talking about collaboration specifically. Thank you, Tiago. Good opening quote. Jeff Hattendorf has picked a quote from way back in history, Emily Dickinson. Her full name was Emily Elizabeth Dickinson. She lived from 1830 to 1886, an American poet. I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but she lived most of her life in isolation. She was considered an eccentric. She mostly wore white clothing. She refused to leave her bedroom after many years. Most of her friendships were based on correspondence, and fewer than a dozen of her almost 1,800 poems were published during her lifetime. Her sister, her younger sister, discovered poems after Emily Dickinson died. So her first publication of poetry as a collection was published in 1890, four years after she left us. Interesting. Here is the quote Jeff has selected from Emily Dickinson. Fortune befriends the bold. Another beautiful short quote. Jeff, tell us how this quote replies to our topic, please. Well, you, you stole a little bit of my thunder, Bonnie. You know, <laughs> part of the idea of, of this quote was from Emily Dickinson is, is she wrote about, and, and she was very prolific in her writing um, in correspondence, and she actually had asked her sister to destroy all of that, that correspondence, which she did, and then she found the notebooks with all the poems that later were published. If you read about her life, she did do some publishing, but almost invariably, it was published and heavily edited by someone else. Mm-hmm. And if you think about how, how we do planning from a corporate standpoint today, we have these very elegant, very detailed bottoms-up approaches to build up a plan. And then someone in corporate FP&A, because it's got to be done at a, on a certain timeline and there's not time to go back and forth and work out the details, edits it and presents it to the board or to the street or to some other constituency. Um, while she was sort of bold, I think that goes back to do or do not. Either you are going to be bold and take a step forward, or you're really not being bold, even if you say you are. Interesting. Thank you very much. We've got a lot of philosophical quote interpretations here. I uh, appreciate that, Jeff. And are you a, a big reader of Emily Dickinson? Did you read her when you were in school, perhaps, or did you just find this quote? Well, I was required to read her in school, um, and, and there's some things that I recall from her, and I recalled the quote, but I couldn't recall who had, who had said it. So I had to Google that and, and actually look up who was the, the author of that quote. Thank you very much. I love it. And I, I did not intend to steal your fire on the origin of the quote, but you know me. I always <laughs> love to look up and find, I, I copy the whole either IMDb or Wikipedia entry into my notes, and then I just skim it when I'm reading, on, you know, reading live on the radio. And uh, I found this particularly interesting. Can you imagine writing that many poems, Jeff, during your lifetime? almost 1,800, they say, and having just a few dozen published. And maybe that's why she stayed alone in her bedroom all dressed in white because, I don't know, she had a thing about not putting her poetry out there or maybe people didn't like the poems she published. Maybe the first dozen or so she published were not well received. Do you have any background on that one or should we just guess? Well, so from what, from what I've read about her life, I think the poems that were published were anonymous and edited and so they were used for fundraising efforts and other things. So they, they seem to have been well-received. I just think she lacked the conviction. And, and part of it was the way we, we operated as a society at the time as well, probably. But I think she lacked the conviction and belief in herself to step out there. 
Thank you very much. We need to go have given her a course in assertiveness. We'll just leave that one on the table. Thank you, RIP Emily Dickinson. And now let's go around the table one more stop to Pras Chatterjee who sent us a quote from, I think it's his first time on the show, not Process, but Bart Simpson. I didn't know his full name, Pras. You know I have it here. His full name is Bartholomew Jojo, nicknamed Bart Simpson fictional character in the American animated TV series The Simpsons, part of the Simpson family, and his name is an anagram of the word brat, B-R-A-T, turned into B-A-R-T. Interestingly enough, cartoonist Matt Groening created and designed Bart while he was waiting in the lobby of James L. Brooks's office, and Groening had been called in to pitch a series of shorts based on his comic strip, Life in Hell, but instead he decided to create a set of new characters. All of the other characters were named after Groening's family members. But Bart was an anagram for Brat. And the series, actually the set of Simpsons were on the Tracy Ullman show for three years and eventually got their own series debuting in 1989. Here's the quote, very similar to the Yoda quote. I wonder if Bart is cloning or, uh, shall we say, uh, channeling Yoda. Yes, I'll try, but I'll try to try. Press, tell me about this one, please. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Bonnie. Uh, yeah, I know I found this to be a very interesting qu- uh, quote. And uh, just to getting back to The Simpsons, whereas Emily Dickinson was required reading for Jeff, uh, this was not required uh, television watching for me, but I made it tell- required <laughs> television watching, uh, you know, Touché. in the uh, 90s and 80s, I guess. So, um, you know, so somewhat yep. of contrast addressed. But, you know, th- the reality, I guess, is that when I think about the audience, um, you know, both Tiago and Jeff and I, uh, we all cater to, which is the office of CFO and finance, and anybody that's really involved in any sort of numbers, uh, I think it's safe to say, and I might speak on behalf of three of us when, uh, when I say that, uh, you know, we see a lot of transformation in technology and all these sort of crazy terms being thrown around, the world moving at the speed of light, uh, but our audience often tends to be very cautious and very backwards. Um, I'm, a, I'm an evangelist when it comes to planning and analysis and how customers can make themselves better with the latest technologies and trends. And what I often see is that instead of uh, potential customers using competitive tools and other tools, they're often stuck with Microsoft Excel and spreadsheets and really living in the dark ages. And um, although they're authorizing the spend for lots of digital transformation across the enterprise, across the board, anywhere and everywhere, but they really, in most and many cases, I would say, don't try to make themselves better. And even when they hear about all the great things that are possible, um, especially with some of the great stories I'm sure uh, that Tiago and Jeff can uh, share, uh, they don't try for themselves. And, you know, maybe what we can talk about today through the course of discussion and for those that are listening is that there's a world of things to try. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a bit of a softer touch to uh, Tiago's statement from uh, Yoda, but it's more of that, you know, at least try to try um, as a start. I like that. Try to try. Well, we got to start somewhere. Interesting how the quotes, to, to my audience, my guests don't sit around a table as far as I know and say, okay, who's going to pick this quote and who's going to pick that quote? They fill out a, a deck of information for me and they come to me through the sponsor of this series. Pras helped put this one together and he's working with the team that sponsors the series, Chris Grundy, for this episode at SAP. And I'm always surprised and, and sometimes tickled by the quotes I get from the guests. So it was interesting that these all had such a relationship to each other. Thank you. 
We're going to get to know our panelists just a little bit more up close and personal now. Tiago, it's your turn. You're up first. And I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, where in the world are you today? You could give me something as simple as a hemisphere or near a forest or a region or a river or something, or you could give me a city. And number two, what's your favorite beverage that powers you or relaxes you that your go-to thing to drink? Tiago Bali, you're up first. So believe me or not, I'm not traveling this week. Uh, it's, it has been a long time since I haven't actually not traveled for every week. So it's the same mm. thing in Chicago, local town for me. Um, I'm right now I'm having a glass of water, but I would love to actually have a glass of Ripolo. It's a one type of a classic type of wine, which you can actually get from certain region of Amalfi Coast in Italy. Specifically, I would say some regions of Positano. And back mm-hmm. centuries, they used to cultivate this wine and grapes in a large quantities in large areas. But now, in the last century, it's been grown only like a few acres within the Positano area. The wine is a really a well-balanced wine, maybe a bit sweeter than a dry wine, but really have a great intense flavor, but not an alcohol. So layers of flavors, allowed to have one of those wines in Amalfi Coast. It sounds lovely. Thank you very much. I don't fly much, but I want to go there right now and have wine there. I'll meet you there after the show, Tiago. Thank you very much. It's a date. Jeff Hattendorf, where are you today, and what are you thinking about drinking? I am high in the building here in the lovely city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And because of all the travel, uh, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed that I don't know the, the origins of this drink, other than uh, I have a nitro cold brew in my hand, um, mm-hmm. which sounds like I'm drinking a beer at the office, but it's actually just coffee from Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, it tastes a little bit like a Guinness, and so the, some of the flavor profiles are similar, but all I know is it, it helps me get through the day some days, and I actually enjoy the taste. So it's a cold brew from Starbucks, but it tastes like beer? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's a nitro cold brew, so nitro it, they, cold they, brew. Okay. they use nitrous oxide or, or nitrous of some kind, uh, nitrogen, sorry. That's um, also part of the process, I believe, with Guinness Stout. And when you drink it, it has the mm-hmm. same foamy characteristics of when you see a Guinness poured out of the tap the first time with the bubbles that never seem to end. It's, uh, it's very tasty. And it's, it's I'm coffee. at the Starbucks page, so... Give me a second here. It says, our nitro cold brew is created when our signature cold brew, slow steep for 20 hours, is infused with nitrogen. That's right. As it pours from the tap, nitrogen infusion creates micro bubbles, giving the coffee a cascading, frothy texture. The result is velvety smooth coffee with a subtly sweet flavor and a rich, creamy head of foam. Experience nitro cold brew now. Very, very interesting. I'm looking at uh, different different types. Thank you. I don't think too many people have talked about that on the radio, Jeff. I appreciate that. Nice to know. I'm sure it's loaded with caffeine. Jeff Hattendorf, thank you very much. Pras Chatterjee, where are you in the world today, and what's your pleasure to drink? Hey, Bonnie. So I am actually at home in Toronto, Canada, at our offices in right downtown uh, Toronto, on the 20th floor overlooking um, everything else downtown. So, yeah, just staying at home for now. I'm off for vacation in two days, so just relaxing before that. Um, In terms of uh, what I'm drinking, I'm actually, I think Jeff and I are going to be at opposite ends of the spectrum this show. So I'm also, I've also gone to Starbucks, but uh, I think they, every so often they have those Starbucks select beans and uh, 
Today they were offering uh, Jamaica Blue Mountain Coffee, which is, I think, one of the world's priciest and rarest coffees. And I had a whole bunch of Starbucks uh, points to redeem, so I figured, why not for this show? And uh, for those of you that have never had Jamaica Blue Mountain Coffee, it is some of the greatest and smoothest uh, uh, coffee ever. Um, and the reason I don't brew it myself at home is because I'm afraid I'll just grind the beans uh, imperfectly and brew it you know, in an erroneous manner, so I just usually wait for someone else to offer it. Um, but when I do... When I am in the, you know, um, I guess in the need for Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee, I'll buy the beans from Papua New Guinea, and because those are actually based on Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee, and it's a, the price point's a little easier, and I'm not, I don't feel bad about ruining the beans just because I'm a bit of an amateur at this. Well, sounds like you're more than an amateur. It sounds like you're an aficionado already. I will tell you there is a website called BlueMountainCoffee.com, and the first uh, there are a bunch of beautiful pictures here of people and coffee beans, and the first one says Jamaica. Blue Mountain Coffee's private selection, handpicked in the mountains of Jamaica, roasted locally and shipped fresh to your door. You'll taste the difference. Okay, thank you. It's a beautiful website, by the way. You have to go there and visit. Thank you, Pras. Gentlemen, you've all been on the radio with me several times, so you know I'm not allowed to go anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. It is already my second show of the day, and it's only 24 minutes after 12. I'm here in beautiful Durham, North Carolina. We have finally broken the heat wave. It's only October 8th, and we're Finally, oh, I see a couple drops of rain. How wonderful. Alexa told me it wasn't going to rain today. That's fine. I'm glad she's wrong. Uh, we've been in the, uh, we were in 101 degree temperature range for many weeks during the summer, and then it slowed down to the mid to high 90s, and now we're in the 70s. So fall has descended on this part of the South that I, for one, am very, very happy. So if you're just tuning in, this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, one of our very most and consistently most popular listen-to series of the 43 Game Changers series I've created with SAP since 2011. We're so happy you're here listening. Today the topic is one on the people side, full steam ahead, finance and planning together at last. We're talking about collaboration. How do you get the two areas to talk to each other and work together? Should it be forced? Should it just be something that evolves naturally, organically? Talking about coffee beans organically. Speaking with Tiago Bala at Deloitte, speaking with Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospect, and speaking with Pross Chat at SAP and a shout out to again Carla Slavin Carla Neil Slavin at Deloitte and Helen Thomas at Deloitte who work with Tiago and uh, speaking also thank you a shout out to Chris Grundy Birgit Starmans and Diana Heim at SAP who sponsored the series so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to launch headlong into the formal roundtable part of the show with some interesting statements that Tiago Bala sent me before the show and we're going to go around and around the table several times and see what everybody thinks about each other's discussion statements so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial you know the drill Aaron out When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next-generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative, in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common, secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. 
the business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions, you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back and we're talking with Tiago Bala at Deloitte, Jeff Hattendorf at MacroSpect, Pross Chatterjee at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and our topic today is a very interesting one. Full steam ahead, finance and planning together at last. We're going to kick off our roundtable, the formal part of the show, with some statements that pro- that uh, Tiago sent me before the show. Let me read a little bit just to whet your appetite, and then Tiago will expand it. Then we'll invite Jeff and Pross to come in and see whether they agree or disagree. Tiago says, computers cannot think, but increasingly they can do things only humans were able to do. Tiago, that's provocative. Tell me what this means, please. So earlier, we always have a, you know, we have a myth that computers can do only computational stuff, right? One plus one equal to what? Computer can do it. But when it comes to analogy or, you know, identifying some patterns and coming up with some predictions, it's always we've been having a thought of only human can do, but not anymore. With all the new technologies, digital technologies, cognitive analytics, uh, machine learning, that's changed the whole world right now how, what we do, and how we operate. Um, traditionally, if you're looking at a uh, forecasting at a FP&A process, right, it's most of the companies' organization, they always mostly are manual processes, you know, gathering a lot of information, compiling it together, manipulating the data. As I think that's was saying, uh, most likely with the spreadsheets, right? But now we have more and more data available in the market, um, structured and unstructured data, and we see that social media is making a huge impact and presence in every organization, regardless of what type of industry you are in. So your old school type of forecasting is time-consuming process. It's almost next to impossible given how much data is available for your forecast. So if you try to really, then next step is, okay, I still have the data from available from externally. I'm going to grab everything, but still I'm going to continue with my traditional manual process. That's not going to fly anymore. You know, if you still continue with the process, probably it's not going to be accurate anymore. All right? And it's just not just for the organization alone. Even for us, we are living in a digital world that the tools are very common in day-to-day life. We don't even realize that there is actually a machine learning or a predictive behind our things. I'm sure every one of you will be using you know, either Google Apps or an iPhone app, right, for the maps. And you always check, what is my ETA to get to the airport or maybe a museum or a point mm-hmm. A or a point B? So it's all the ETAs are based on variety of data points. And I say that, I say, what is the official speed limit? What is my recommended speed limit? You know, what are the different road types, historical average data, um, particular time, what is the speed we have, people have driven in the past, maybe peak hour speed time, off hours, holidays, right? So the system actually grabs all this information and again, align that along with your real-time traffic information, then using the predictive machine learning algorithm when it's coming up with your ETA. And even when you realize that there's a machine learning behind the scene, which is actually producing the ETA for you. 
The same thing with your real-time weather app, right? It's exactly tell you on tomorrow in Florida, you're going to be getting this weather. How are you going to getting all those things? So the machine life has become a part of our norm these days. So the organization also, I'm seeing the trend that forecasting process is leaning towards more of a predictive algorithm using machine learning. How it's possible? As we talked about, the new technology, the digital tools, in-memory computing, cognitive analytics, and the machine learning is making it possible. So that was what I was saying that we have to change our mindset that it don't have to be always human. The process, the machine, the digital tools can do the same thing for you from an FP&A standpoint. Thank you very much, Tiago. Very interesting. Just for those of you in the audience who aren't familiar with FP&A, there's possible there's a couple of you. I'm just going to define it. FP&A is financial planning and analysis, shorthand. Let's go around the table. Jeff Hattendorf at MacroSpect. Comments on what Tiago just shared with us, please. Well, I, I generally agree with what he's been saying. But what I would counter with is the, the idea that computers think if Maslow had written a hierarchy of needs, um, related to corporate financial planning. He would have started with data collection. Let's do some algebra because we're not doing, it's not rocket science. We're not doing complicated math most of the times. Giving people access, letting us see the data in ways that we can't see it normally, and then letting us do some analytics to begin to predict or understand where there's relationships that we don't, we don't have. That last step of thinking, and maybe I've just seen too many movies like Terminator uh, and you know, Space Odyssey 2000, where the computers take over. I, I, I have a hard time with the computers telling us what to do. But where I absolutely agree is that what the machines can do is, the, is tell us where there's relationships in the data that we might know intuitively or we might have no idea exists at all because there's just so much data, it's hard to get to real information that is actionable. Interesting. Let's go around the table one more. Pras Chatterjee, weigh in. You've got a lot to talk about here. What do you think? Um, so I tend to agree with some of what both have had to say. I mean, ultimately, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, there is machine learning going on all around us, especially in the office of the CFO. Um, there's going to be tools that help look at your data and patterns and recommend trends. But I think for the most part, initially, a lot of this is uh, effectively stating the obvious, but the brilliance of it is that it's stating the obvious in the sense that um, that's great, but not everybody has um, an idea of what the obvious is. So it helps augment that piece of it. I think some of the challenge of this will be a lot of it is uh, accountability because um, we call the profession financial planning and analysis. And I'm sure as uh, Jeff and Tiago agree, especially when they work with many uh, practitioners in this area, uh, many people spend the majority of their time probably planning and aggregating and just bringing information together and less time doing an analysis. And there's going to have to be a culture shift to uh, take a step back and rely on uh, automation and machines and to you know, and algorithms to bring in the latest set of data, uh, marry, uh, you know, um, different data points together um, and present an analysis uh, or present some sort of information deck and really having this, these practitioners of FP&A change their mindset from, uh, you know, doing all the, I guess, grunt work for a better term and doing it more value-added and now analytics behind it. But I think that's the direction it has to go. Um, uh, but I think the primary thing that will have to be defined here is accountability. Who is responsible for, um, you know, as Jeff indicated, I mean, if we move towards a Terminator-type world or a minority reporter or somewhere where it's like way into the, you know, not-so-distant future, who is responsible for the machines? And is it this uh, group here that's going to rely on this information to make, you know, mission-critical decisions? 
Thank you very much. Tiago, we've got some interesting commentary around the table. You want to come back and agree or disagree or comment on Jeff and on Pras? Go ahead, Tiago. No, no, I think I, I agree with both of them, right? And I say uh, we got to use a conservative machine learning. It's more, it's not going to take over the 100% of the entire planning process. It might be more about close to 80% or 90%. Still, there will be some interaction. Instead of having 10 planners, I will be having one or two planners doing the job and more on actionable items rather than actually finding what should be an actionable item, right? So we can actually have the resources use their time effectively in a vision-making process rather than bringing the output to the table. Thank you very much. Good topic to start our roundtable. Thank you, Tiago. Jeff, I'm looking at your notes here. A lot of interesting comments here, some of which we have already touched on in our conversation so far. I mentioned zero-based budgeting in my opening, Jeff. I think we should dive into that a little bit. You say the intent of zero-based budgeting is justification of every item in a budget. While there are several approaches to this, Many companies struggle to justify budgets beyond the corporate level. Let's talk about that. Jeff, you want to unpack this for me and take it a little further? Yes, ma'am. And we've worked with companies of all sizes and, and with all kinds of approaches. But, but it, as I mentioned a minute ago, it usually comes back to math. We're adding numbers up. We're, we're trying to get to a total to see what the P&L is going to look like this year, next year, five years down the road. When we talk about the idea of zero-based budgeting, Particularly on the expense side, the idea is that you need to justify every dollar or peso or euro that you're going to put in the budget so that we have a budget that is meaningful and actionable within the the realm of operating the business. Some companies literally start with zeros in the budget and build build up from there. Others use drivers to actually produce a budget based upon activities. So there's lots of ways that that zero-based budgeting gets interpreted. But it, it means you've got to justify the numbers. And, and I think back to, you know, something I read when I was very early in this, in this space, and Warren Buffett wrote this, that he said the corporate budgeting process is the, one of the biggest wastes of time, and I know I'm paraphrasing this poorly, in corporate America today, and he was speaking about American companies. But if you talk to any company he's ever worked with, he expected budgets and forecasts. His view was, I think, geared towards zero-based budgeting, is that you need to justify the spend, not take what you've been doing, and do it again. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's go around the table. Pras Chatterjee, please join us. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of zero-based budgeting, although I probably don't do it myself. But, I mean, when I was in the FP&A space as a practitioner, uh, you know, I could see that, you know, companies that didn't exercise zero-based budgeting, uh, you know, it was a lot of business as usual. Well, we did this last year. Let's just do it again, tweak things, and let's not justify things and uh, items and justify spend. And really the mantra behind zero-based budgeting is that, especially in today's economy where things are always changing, things are dynamic, it's not business as usual. I mean, it just can't be business as usual. I mean, unless you exist in that sort of industry, you really do need to uh, you know, justify every type of spend in every activity because there are obviously um, spend requests and spend items that might have occurred last year that you just can't bring over this year, primarily because it didn't work. And if you're going to bring it over, you have to justify why it didn't work, well, why it will work in the following year and really make a business case, almost like treat the money as your own money. But I, I think the other aspect of zero-based budgeting is that uh, uh, Jeff is absolutely correct. We do apply it often to costs and you know, everything as that's an expense or some sort of spend item. But why not revenues as well? If you're going to ch- uh, you know, throw out growth of, let's say, 10% or 15%, 
well, how do we get there? What are the steps and the measures we're going to take? And I think if you're going to, if you start with zero, I mean, maybe this is a bit of a novel idea, but if you start with zero-based budgeting from the top and you make, you know, certain proclamations about growing your business, you know, X percent or Y percent or Z percent, um, maybe you'll have, that'll help justify the spend to help propel that growth as well. So I think it can work both ways. And uh, the technology is definitely there because at the end of the day, the, you know, the beauty behind modern technology and uh, something like zero-based budgeting is that as you're going through an exercise of zero-based budgeting, you can see the impact potentially of not spending or spending more or growing your business in a certain manner and see that those numbers aggregate and get a better idea of the impact overall by undertaking activities such as zero-based budgeting. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Who have we got? Tiago? Um, so I definitely agree that the zero-based the zero budgeting is really valuable, but I'm not sure how much is realistic right now if you are trying to incorporate external factors into the zero-based budgeting, right? If you're looking at the historical trend, historical data, it makes much easier for us to actually, you know, it's not easier, still it's a menial task to come up with a ZBB every month on an ongoing basis. But if you want to actually consider all the additional factors from external macro drivers, economical drivers, it might be a challenge for to do a ZBB for every line. So there should be a balance between what line has to be a ZBB, either a revenue or OPEX model versus what line cannot, don't have to be a ZBB. Okay. That's Jeff, let take. me go. Thank you. Jeff, let me go around to you. Thoughts on what your co-panelists have shared on your topic? Well, so there's a couple things, and they both touched on good points. You know, part of what Tiago is talking about is the reality is human behavior is even if you take all the numbers out of my spreadsheet or my tool that I use in the cloud or on the on the on premise, I'm just going to put what I had put in there before because that's what I know. So to really get to where we're justifying budgets, every single line. It's not just the change in the process or the technology, which are very important, but the people have to change as well. This is not a process or technology-only discussion. There's a people discussion that has to happen. And as we get older, if we've been in jobs for a long time, we tend to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I really think that's a little bit about what Warren Buffett was writing about, is that the traditional budgeting process limits the potential of organizations to be better. You could challenge every single line item in the revenue, in the cost, et cetera, and, and go to a, a fully justified zero-based budgeting approach. But you can put that a process in place. You can put tools in place without teaching the people how to do that. And, and there are practical realities that, that some months you can't do it. But, but without the people buying into it, it's not going to happen even if you put the process and technology in place. Interesting. So, Thank you. Very, yeah, go ahead. Hi. If I can politely disagree with Jeff, like please do. Yes, um, go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, I I, I I I somewhat agree with what Warren Buffett has said about it being a waste. But at the same time, I I see the true value in it in the sense that uh, so I, you know we've all worked in FP&A, we work with customers, and we've all I mean especially you guys, you guys see um, people that are in the midst of planning, and I know that I mean I've been in, in financial planning in years now, but I know that. 
there's a lot of sandbagging going on where, you know, people pull back sales and uh, quotas and things like that, knowing that they'll be able to hit it. And, uh, and then all of a sudden when it's a surprise, there's, you know, like kudos and tadas given across the board and just sandbagging across the board, even in expenses and items and, you know, maybe overstating expenses for the following year so that when you come in under, you know, it's like a pat on the back or an attaboy in that sense. And, you know, I really feel like an extra in zero-based budgeting can help link all the processes in that you know, if you start from your expenses or like in my world where I'm in marketing, if, I, if I'm, you know, mm-hmm. creating all this collateral, if I'm creating all these campaigns and I predict and I write down that these campaigns will result in X amount of sales, if you have a collaborative process where everything is tied in potentially, uh, my projection on sales based on campaigns will help increase the sales versus and create a unity amongst the sales group and a marketing group that's helping support them and other areas uh, across the organization as well. But in terms of, um, you know, just as we started this discussion in the beginning, uh, I talked about, I think Jeff said, you know, you can't just um, roll into this or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but... Um, I think it's time for finance to really take the bull by the horns and lead this process. Um, you know, too often finance is just involved in planning and not in the analysis. And if they're going to be involved in the analysis and provide strategic direction, maybe part of their mandate needs to be to get executive buy-in into a process like zero-based budgeting and all these brand-new technologies that can help revitalize the organization. And once they've got executive buy-in, maybe they're the people that just have to, you know, steamroll across the organization and drive this process through because it's for the betterment of everybody. Thank you very much. Any comments back? Uh, Jeff, I think? Anything you want to say? Yeah, so steamrolling or brute force is definitely a part of what has to happen. And, and I don't want to take Mr. Buffett's name in vain. He wrote that quote or that, that article 20 years ago. Um, I absolutely agree that, that we have to be in a world where we're justifying things as we go forward. And, and I believe that, that the whole idea of that quote and the, the topic of today is Status quo isn't good enough. We can talk about the pace of change. We can talk about the, the, the amount of data that's growing, and then we need better tools. But I believe it, if it comes back to people, if the people don't improve, if they don't view the process differently, it doesn't matter what we do with the tools. Thank you very much. Good point. And that leads me into a statement here. I'm looking across at your notes. Uh, so many good things that we've talked about a lot of these already. Uh, let me start with something that's really on the, the tail of what Jeff just said. You say, Pras, a strong cultural change, I feel, will occur with accountability. Yes, machine learning and AI will embed itself into all aspects of the organization, especially finance. Yes, budgets and plans can be predicted with greater accuracy based on underlying data sets. However, Pras says he doesn't see finance readily giving up their control to algorithms. Best-in-class organizations will strive for a balance and process that boasts and provides domain accountability led by finance. Pras, can we talk about the people part of that? You also talk about best-in-class finance departments will use the mantra of collaborative enterprise planning to spread plans everywhere and anywhere to all lines of business and make them simpler. So, Pras, can you work with this a little bit, and then we'll go around the table, please? We have a few more minutes. Yeah, so I I think the key thing is that, you know, one of the biggest, um, um, I guess, uh, things in the world of planning right now is, you know, whether you call it collaborative enterprise planning or integrated financial planning, but just bringing plans together. And it it shouldn't be a a novel concept, but it's more of a novel concept now because, uh, the technology is there to bring everything together. And the reason you're bringing things together is that, well, really things, for the most part, were often uh, disparate in a sense. Um, everybody plans. We all know that. Um, if I'm in marketing, I plan. If you're in HR, you're planning headcounts. If you're in a factory, you're planning your costs or your 
you know, your manufacturing, you know, whatever you're producing. Like everybody's planning in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but it's a matter of bringing everything together. And when I talk about control is that, um, you know, machine learning, depending on how you implement it in your organization, uh, it might be able to predict some things, but it can't, maybe not right now, until you've established a baseline process. And to me, that process is collaborative enterprise planning, whereby um, you, you work, at, you create your plans in a manner where it's, uh, it's highly dependent and collaborative interactive. So, for example, uh, if sales is calling out certain projections for the following year, marketing then, when they're creating their plans, they're basically on the sales projections for the following year. They're not working in isolation. That the uh, operating pieces, being the manufacturing areas, when they look at the sales call out and they forecast their demand based on the sales, so that um, and what they'll produce, and that again ties into HR because HR can then help you know the manufacturing plants or you know whatever the good that's an output, and help decide in terms of well, do they need to hire more contract workers or more, or more, you know, increased shifts or, you know, you know, have a bigger headcount, you know, whether it's for increase of sales force or to increase the manufacturing facility force or whatnot. But it's really working in a collaborative manner so that the impact of one is felt by everybody. So again, these plans are not done in isolation. And when I talk about a finance not giving up control, I think finance probably will undertake more control to be the quarterback of this process and drive it forward because they're almost like, you know, they're like Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the enterprise. They're the ones that can see everything and make the decision and really be the uh, one-stop shop for all this and really speak the language for everybody. I like the where you're going with that. Let's go around the table. Tiago, agree or disagree? I, I 100% agree. 100% agree what it said. Okay, anything you want to add to that? So it's... It, I would say it's more about adapting and the people and process and technology, right? So once you have the, once you define the process, the, all the things what Pratt said is actually nature will flow, fall into place. That, that's my point. So. Thank you very much. Jeff Attendorf, you're up next. What do you think? So, you know, Pratt is right on, on most of what he said. And the, the reality is in bits and pieces, most big companies do some or all of this today. So collaborative planning does happen, but sometimes it's, when, I, when I referenced brute force, force earlier, there aren't tools in place to make it easy. And we've been working with a large consumer products company. Their entire forecast takes six to eight weeks to complete. I, they're a world-class company, but that's not a world-class forecasting cycle. And it's because the tools in place to do the math are aged. They are old and, and it's not that the math we're doing is complicated. I was just reading an article today about, about the study of, of multiplication. I had no idea there was another method to do multiplication other than the carry method. And when we're trying to find and multiply lots of data, the carry method can take forever to get done in a computer. And so there's a whole study of math about how to do multiplication different ways faster. When we talk about collaborative planning, going back to, to what Proz was talking about, I think the pieces are in place. I absolutely agree that the office of the CFO and finance needs to play the role of the quarterback or the, the midfielder who is, who is controlling the flow because they can see all the things that are happening. And then it comes back to update the technology, reimagine the process, and train your people. You have to be bold. And fortune befriends the bold, as Emily tells us. 
There you go. Nice wrap up with that quote. I appreciate that. Uh, Pras, you want to come back at either one of your co-panelists on what was just said? Yeah, Interesting so, uh, topic. So I, I want to maybe ask Jeff to step in for a second, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think Jeff outlined a picture that I agree with, but I think the missing piece is at that point where Jeff and I started with is, well, do you need brute force or not to then make everybody follow this new paradigm? And uh, again, I agree that not everybody has technology that can accommodate such a process, but let's say the technology is in place. Um, that still won't change things overnight, maybe not over the course of a year or two years. I mean, what requires is a cultural shift to do things completely differently, um, you know, and whether it's, um, you know, zero-based budgeting that rolls up into a collaborative process or, you know, uh, getting a better understanding of your drivers. But at some point, you not have to have brute force led by someone to basically um, enforce this and make it a mandate um, to drive this kind of, you know, uh, I guess, a better behavior. Thank you very much. Yeah, and Anybody I'm, I'm else not sure to... which of the Roosevelt said this. But it's it's a walk quietly but carry a big stick approach. So finance, the CFO, the office of the CFO absolutely has to play the quarterback role, and you're going to have to try to get people to buy in. It might be the class I disliked most in management class because people don't just do what they're told. They have to, they have to believe in an idea. And so you have to be a visionary. You have to be a communicator. But there are always going to be people who don't participate and who don't want to be collaborative, and that's where the brute force method comes in because they're either going to comply or they're not. And if they won't, then it's time to make a change. Jeff, it was Teddy Roosevelt. I, I, Big stick. Don't I, I know what Teddy Roosevelt Jeff said, right? I, I think we are seeing this very common, you know, large implementation. Mm-hmm. Same way. Like most people, yes, um, especially the people who have actually been in the same firm or a company for like 20 years, they don't want to change. And unless you have a brute force attaining them, they're not going to buy into the new concept or new technology or new process. Okay. I think we're going to go right now headlong into the crystal ball segment of the show. I have four and a half minutes left to end. I want to make sure everybody gets a chance for their prediction. So let's let's be brutal about this prediction. Are we going to keep using ZBB, zero-based budgeting? I learned that those letters today. Are we going to talk about brute force in terms of collaboration? Are we going to have best-in-class companies that embrace the cultural shift they need to have? Let's see, or, for example, uh, does anybody have a different name for zero-based budgeting or for collaborative enterprise planning? It could become the Hattendorf method. I don't know, Jeff. So let's get some bold (laughs) predictions on the table. I give you each 60 seconds on the dot. Tiago Bala at Deloitte, talk to me. Prediction, go. It is the overall, it's going to take some ch- time for the overall organization going to change in the future for the FP&A. However, the trend is coming right now. Um, as you see more and more, you're going to see more RPA and machine learning tools in place for most of the processes, especially in the finance world. It's become a very common norm as we see through the process. I'm talking about transaction processing to the financial planning, including analytics. The human will be actually more geared towards making decisions rather than actually doing the actual work to get there. Thank you very much. Jeff Attendorf. Thank you, Tiago. Appreciate that. Jeff Attendorf, predict, please. All right. So in the short term, Bonnie, what we're going to see is companies will move more and more to the cloud. The cloud-based technologies give give us speed. They give us things like augmented analytics. And what augmented analytics will do the things we see in our home today where I can go 
hey, Alexa, turn on the lights. Hey, Siri, turn off the lights. I can use any of the different, different uh, AI protocols to manage the things in my home. We're going to begin to see that. And there goes Siri in the background. Uh, we're going to begin to see that in the office of the CFO. Siri was listening to, apparently. I apologize. And we're going to say, hey, Leonardo, hey, Alexa, hey, whomever, what do we need to do yep. to increase net revenues by a million dollars next quarter? And what the system can do that people can't in short periods of time is crunch through lots of data, look for causality, yes. and say, you can do these two or three things, and here's where you can make your change. Wow. That's a big wow. We won't, we won't let my Alexa hear that because she might start telling me how to do it. Thank you, Jeff. Pras Chatterjee, I saved exactly 60 seconds for your prediction. Go ahead and wow me, Pras. Uh, thanks, Bonnie. So I think my prediction is really that um, because we've all been talking about data and more data and being able to make decisions with more and more data, I think there's going to be in the future, in the next few years, more tie-ins between a planning system and ERP systems to the point where uh, planning tools will be completely embedded with ERP tools because you're going to want to make decisions based on all the relevant information that you might have directly within your ERP system or data warehouse. Um, I think with ZBB, um, and Bonnie, you mentioned, you know, whether, what are we going to call in the future? Mm-hmm. But I'm betting that 99.9% of those companies will not call it zero-based budgeting because the minute you call an activity zero-based budgeting, everybody's automatically concerned about how do I justify my job? Is it just about cutting expenses? Yep. And am I that expense as well? So I think it's going to go under very different names, um, you know, different conventions. But I think the underlying principle will be zero-based budgeting as you know, uh, companies have more data to work with and more uh, information to fall back on and really need to dr- justify their spend and uh, the way they're going to generate revenue. Um, I think, you know, this kind of process is going to be fundamental, but it just, we're not going to call it ZBB. We're going to call it something else, but that's the underlying uh, principle. We're going to call it letters. Makes sense. Thank you very much. Easy to pronounce. Thank you. Jeff, your name's a little long for that. Well, we could call it the Jeff or the Pras. We could call it the Tiago, too. Just one more letter. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being wonderful. I appreciate it. And let me do my call to action because it's time to end this party. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? I hope you learned a lot about ZBB and all kinds of collaborative entertainment enterprise planning because I sure did. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Tiago Bala at Deloitte, just like Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospect, and just like Pras Chatterjee at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.